Hello and welcome to another episode of Real You Real Money. I'm so excited for you to be here and I'm equally as excited, possibly even more excited to tell you that the doors for plenty are now open. You can find out all the details in my show notes. But something you might not know about this podcast is we get a really similar amount of listens per episode, which tells me that we have this really beautiful, loyal community. And you are all people, as you're listening to this, who are so welcome in plenty. If you like what I'm saying here, it will absolutely be a good fit for you. So if you're interested in working with me in a much deeper way, in an ongoing community, you pay upfront for it or over a payment plan, and then you're in the community. We have weekly calls. I'm adding lives. There are workshops, all sorts of things, as well as the course content itself. I'd love to have you. I'd love to get to know you. If you would like to join us, and obviously you can just go to the show notes and do that, or if you'd rather, you can book a call with me, DM me on Instagram, and let's chat about it. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Real You, Real Money. I am so excited for our guest today. They are our first repeat guest, and what a pleasure it is to have you. Mara is a coach, a podcaster, and now an author. You will be able to get your hands on her book really, really soon, and I have started to read it, and it is absolutely awesome. So Mara is one of a number of humans that I've met online whose brain I just love, and I'm very excited (laughs) to get to hang out with you and your brain for the next hour. So Mara... Can you let us know a bit about what you do and how you ended up doing that? Yeah. So I have been working in the realm of helping people like themselves more for quite some time, 12 Mm -hmm. plus years. I have a MSW, a social work background, and I work now as a coach. And I started really focusing on, because it was a natural entry point for me personally, learning how to come to terms with and have a neutral relationship with and eventually a more loving relationship with my body. Mm. And what I found through that lens was that once I befriended my body, there was still this whole realm of self-expression and personhood that that I was hiding. Mm. And so my work deepened into figuring out what we need, how to advocate for what we need, particularly with ourselves. And Mm -hmm. this work of moving from self-abandonment to self-partnership and really figuring out how to have our own back, how to rebuild our self-trust and how to bring the power of the relationship that we have with ourselves to everywhere that we go. Because of course we are already doing that, but when we're beating ourselves up or judging ourselves or keeping ourselves small or, you know, abandoning our needs, then that relationship with yourself really suffers. And I think that that impacts absolutely every aspect of your life. So my work is really around needs, what you need, how to ask for what you need, how to figure it out, you know, when you have competing needs and how to build that relationship with yourself so that it's there to support you when you need it. And I love your podcast is called Needy as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I've mentioned your work to a few people. And when I say needy, they always go, oh, like there's a real like, oh, like, because it's really interesting how it like pokes at this idea. And I think it's particularly, I don't know, again, this, I'll speak for myself. I think I definitely growing up had that. I don't want to be that needy girl. Mm-hmm. 
like I don't know if that's cu- culturally transcends but yeah. a real thing of like that needy girl that like need, like I because I didn't even know a lot about feminism then I would have known that I was a feminist I think but I didn't know a lot about it but I wanted to prove people wrong I didn't want to be this weak woman I think mm-hmm. that was a lot of it and I find that kind of so interesting with your work how we can see that denying our needs is like so steeped in female conditioning mm-hmm. and being conditioned as a woman and yet also a lot of us are really trying to like we also a lot of us see it as a woman's thing to be so needy kind of. it's a, it's a horrible little yeah. wedge to get stuck in yeah. there and you know I'll tell you when I was naming my book which of course I was naming after my podcast my own father said to one of my sisters I, you know I think Mara's really making a mistake with that name mm. it's horrible nobody wants to be that and I was like yeah. I'm gonna put that story in the book yeah. at the very beginning <laughs> and you know that but that is the thing it's like we nobody wants to have needs and yet mm. we literally all of us every single one of us have them because we're in human bodies and human bodies by nature have needs yeah so you know i i often say in my work that the needs aren't the problem but pretending that you don't have any is a problem because then you whether you know it or not are outsourcing those needs onto the people around you by making it their problem and so for me that's when we really have that quote unquote needy person archetype that we don't want to be it's like i am making my needs everyone else's responsibility and a lot of my work i mean look we're relational creatures Mm. we interact with people all day long so our needs are very much a conversation with other people however for me i'm often thinking about what am i wanting from somebody else that i'm unable or unwilling to give to myself and what's going on there and i often find this with my partner i will be so pissed at them for just something, you know, that I want them to do for me and I want them to do it, you know, with greater and greater urgency. Yeah. And when I really step back with my therapist hat on and, and get curious, I'm like, I am, I'm patently not doing that thing for myself. Yeah. So what's happening, (laughs) you know, and my clients will always say, well, there's certain things that you can only get from somebody else, but I don't know. I'm curious about that too. I think that we can, there's a lot of ground to cover in your relationship with yourself and also in democratizing your relationships in such a way that you're not just looking to one person to get your needs met. Yes, definitely. And I think also the boundaries aspect of it, like, you know, it might be that you can only get certain things from someone else, but equally, are you in need of those things because you didn't set a boundary that protected what you Mm -hmm. needed in the first place? I, mm-hmm. When I was reading the first chapter, I think it's the first chapter of a book, part of your book, it really reminded me of a time when I was running this business, but I think it was before my husband, he he was still working full time as well. And I was just run off my feet with like, I think Gus was probably three, Stan was probably like four, just starting school, four, five. And I remember my husband saying something to me and I just went, I just, I hate you all. <laughs> went up the stairs and I was like, and he was really like, really offended. I was like, I didn't don't mean I hate you I just like I was so at capacity mm-hmm. I like that like literally like child's words came out my mouth so I was just like I just I cannot don't ask and I think he just said like can you do some washing up or can you do something mm-hmm. and I was just like I just I hate you all because I just felt so demanded of 
and it just makes like that is a, a like figured that out with my therapist that's that is my reaction when I'm at capacity mm-hmm. I've got no, like none of my needs are being met I'm overtouched. that is a big one for me like just mm-hmm. children touching me all I'm always joked that I can be found under a pile of boys because I've always got two boys who one of them's now <laughs> 10 and he's still <laughs> sat close to me other one sat on my lap but yeah it really reminded me of that moment of that kind of like what is the word explosion mm-hmm. that came from not having my needs met yeah yeah well and so often that is the case Right. We don't get our needs met. We don't get our needs met. We don't get our needs met. And then boom, you know, it is about this thing. It's about everything. Yeah. It's a whole to do. And when we're able to be in more consistent relationship with our needs, because this doesn't mean, look, we're humans who lead multifaceted lives. Yeah. People are always like, well, you know, do you get all of your needs met? And I do not. Mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, I do not. However, I do have a working understanding of the needs that I have and whether or not they're being met. And there's just a sense of it in my mind. It's like, okay, well, I have a need to be doing, you know, more traveling or spending more time with my friends Mm -hmm. or this. But, you know, we're in this pandemic and also I have small children and also, you know, like all of these things are going on. So I'm able to make sense of it for myself in a way that it's not that there's not grief there for unmet needs, but it's less of, it's more, um, everything's put into place inside of me instead of just like running amok. And I think that, you know, it's, it's impossible that all of us are going to get our needs met all of the time, but too often that means we shut off the tap and we just say, well, if I can't get all of my needs met, then I'm not going to get any of my needs met, which is a recipe for disaster and for that kind of explosion. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll read at the very beginning of the book, you know, this conversation for me really started after the birth of our first child, which was about six years ago. And my partner, who's much better at asking for what they need, was sort of talking about all the things that they needed. And it felt like there was like one tiny little scrap of time and energy and resources and they were just grabbing it and leaving me with nothing. Mm -hmm. And I got super pissed and totally exploded because I was feeling my needs in a very acute way for the first time in my life. Cause I was exhausted. I had this newborn. I was trying to learn how to breastfeed her and like, you know, healing and all of these things. And my partner really looked me in the eye and said, you would have a lot more for yourself if you stopped giving all of your time away, which is fair because I (laughs) am a minimizer. It's like, oh, I'm looking around the house. Somebody needs me for something. I was planning Mm -hmm. on doing something I was really looking forward to. Oh no, don't worry about that. Just push it to the side. Just push it Mm -hmm. to the side. Oh no, I'll do it later. Later's never going to come. And it's true. You know, yeah. from a boundaries perspective, it is my job to hold mm-hmm. those things as sacred and, you know, to to recognize that other people in my life can wait too. Yeah. Because I'm, yeah. The, 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 you know, otherwise I'm always waiting, right? Yeah. And to create more balance in the ecosystem. Yeah. And then, and then we get resentful, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's like we are hurting our own feelings. Mm-hmm. we're like oh I never get any time yeah because you give it to everybody else I mm-hmm. think actually this is something like listening to it, it's really interesting I feel like my family now has this quite well like I'll spend quite a lot of time we have quite a small house 
So when the boys are doing their thing downstairs, I'm often in my bedroom just reading a book. And I'll do that quite a lot of the time. And I honestly think our family is so much happier for it. Because obviously, because I'm not running around telling people I hate them. Mm. (laughs) That helps. But also, I just feel like modeling that thing of of you know going for your own like because actually I would say in in my relationship it's my my husband in a lot of ways struggles more with Mm -hmm. not advocating for his needs for sure he is much more likely to do that but I think yeah it's it's definitely created harmony in our house in ways that weren't present before okay I have another question okay which I wasn't planning on asking but I think it's a really important one where is the line is there a line maybe is a better question between needs and desires like yeah. are you talking about the same thing or are they different things and the reason I ask that is because I was thinking about one I talk a lot in my work about the impact I believe diet culture has had on our ability to appreciate and give like weight to our most basic needs because mm-hmm. we <laughs> we were taught that you're not you're not really hungry you you know mm-hmm. you just need to and I used to go to bed super early so that I wouldn't eat or there was a whole thing over here I don't know if it was in the states as well like just drink more if you you think you're hungry but you're actually thirsty if you drink water the hunger will go away all of that sort of stuff and I really feel like that has really meant that for a lot of people you don't actually have access like you don't trust some of your most basic needs and so that has a knock-on effect so do you into needs and desires so what what would you say like what is the is there a difference between a need and a desire Yes. First, I'll say that I very much agree on the impact of diet culture Mm -hmm. on our ability to trust ourselves and to be in harmonious relationship, in harmonious partnership with ourselves, because we are absolutely conditioned that our bodies are these like wanton, you know, creatures that if left to our own devices, we would end up, you know, insert worst case scenario here. Yeah. And I think that for myself and for many of the people that I work with, repairing that relationship is painful and there's a lot of grief involved Mm -hmm. with getting back in touch with our bodies as they are instead of, you know, for me, it was really giving up that, that body image fantasy of, you know, putting my life on hold until the day when I, you know, reached that ideal body status that I had been Mm. working on for so long Mm. to the tune of almost holding my breath because my real quote unquote real life was going to begin when she was going to arrive and save me Mm. from this version of myself, Mm -hmm. which was to be loathed at best and controlled at worst. And so that self-trust, you know, the less that we trust ourselves, the more Mm. rules that we apply. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when that comes to what we eat, when we eat, how we Mm -hmm. drink water, how we rest, how we meet our most basic needs. Also movement. It has been years that I have been working to reclaim movement because it was so painful for me to even navigate for such a long time because it was used from such an early age as this tool of there's something wrong with you and this is the solution. And, you know, that, that joyful movement is a necessary part of many you know our our body's requirements yeah so i like to think about needs being what we require Mm. 
and wants being what we desire. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing is oftentimes when I work with people, they'll say, okay, I can grok that, you know, need that a need is what I require. Okay. Now I'm already putting things into a hierarchy because I have, I'm short on time and energy. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear you say what's more important than I can all just do that. And I'll not do that. Both are important. Mm. And for me, a lot of times the need is the thing and the desire is the how. So I'm hungry for food, but like, what kind of food am I hungry for? You know, oh I'm hungry God, for man. like yesterday, I, my kids did not care, but I really <laughs> wanted this. One of my, my dreams for this year is to feed myself like really beautiful food that mm. excites me. And I am relatively creative in the kitchen, but you know, have been phoning it in for, for the last little while, making so many meals per day. But I was like, I'm going to make food that really excites me. So I made these waffles and had this like blueberry chia kind of warm compote and then this coconut coconut yogurt on top and maple syrup. And it was like, what I, what I needed, what I needed was mm. what I need is breakfast. Yeah. Right. But what I wanted was not just like your average freaking breakfast. Like I wanted this really special breakfast. And so <laughs> yes. That's where we, we go into pleasure. And I think, you know, our wants are not necessarily always absolutely sandwiched up and related yeah. to needs, but I like to think about it that way because I think you can be quote unquote meeting your needs mm. and it can still feel so hollow. It's like, yes. well, I yes. ate, ate breakfast or I moved my body or, you know, so this morning I knew this is an early call for me. My brain does not usually come online this early. So I was like, okay, I, I need to like move my body a little bit before I get on this call. That'll feel really good. And I could have done something in my house, like jumped on a trampoline in my basement or something mm -hmm. in the dark, or I could go for this beautiful walk that I love to go on and see the sun rising over the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, here's the thing. The thing is like, I need to move my body a little bit. But that desire for me hooks into what excites me, what, you know, yeah. and, and also what is true to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't just need a thing, but I want to like a special kind of thing. You know, I don't yeah. just want my coffee. I want my coffee in a specific mug. It's like all this specificity really feeds me in a way that's beyond just the need being met. And I think that's the realm of desire and pleasure. Yeah. And it makes such a profound difference. And usually, frankly, these two things sit side by side. It's like, do I pull special mug out of the cabinet or do I pull very boring mug out of the cabinet? Always special. Um, same exact motion, you know, it doesn't take yeah. more, more time or energy. It mm. just takes giving a shit. I love this. I think it makes, like, it relates to money so beautifully because we need money. Mm -hmm. This is something that I like when I first started being coached and I was introduced to the world of coaching, there was this whole law of attraction message that you, you needed to let go of the need for money. And that's how it would come to you. At the time I couldn't feed my children. We had no money. And I was like, cool. How do I let go of the need for food for my children? Tell me about that. And it's always really bothered me that when, when money coaches particularly go into that realm of like, 
just you know you don't need it like yeah we do we do we live in a capitalist world like we have to pay mortgages and rent and food we do need it but I love this kind of reframing of it where we can say so we have this need but what's our desire for it and also that's so beautifully individual as well because one person's desire is going to be a certain amount or a way of spending or whatever it is I'm going to argue it might be an amount but it's always going to be about the impact of that money rather than the amount for the sake of it but somebody else's is going to be completely different but I love that kind of marrying of those two things that's so I think you've just changed the shape of my brain in that <laughs> like I've kind of been at that issue for so long and that feels like a really important piece of like how we tap into because the issue is the law of attraction people have kind of got a point it always annoys me <laughs> because when we are fixated on the need and we hold on really tightly to it often that thing whatever it is money but but it can be pursuit of a relationship pursuit of a certain body or whatever it is that thing kind of like slips out of our fingers mm-hmm. because it feels the pressure of our like I need this thing I need it as opposed to that's slightly more free thing. And I love what you've just described. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, and I think from a money perspective too, you know, when we're thinking about how we define success, Mm. defining it for ourselves and, you know, I'm coming to you live from this little shed that I built for myself in my backyard and I like it out here. And this was a big expense for my business, but it's just up levels my work so much. And you know, being able to have the food in my house to make those delicious waffles and really not working a lot so that I can spend a lot of time with my kids and a lot of time just, you know, looking at sunrises over the ocean and defining that, that success for ourselves. Like I have a working understanding of how much money I need to support that life. Mm. And it's not a ton of money. Yeah. And when so often that like what is successful is go 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 certain kind of very flashy lifestyle you know yada yada looks good on instagram Mm -hmm. again it's soul it's soulless yeah for so many of us like i'm moving towards something but i don't even really know why (laughs) you know except that is what i'm quote unquote supposed to do yeah versus that hook of hey i want to be able to feed my kids a certain kind of food i want to be able to work however many hours a week and not all of the hours of the week i want to be able to afford to pay my team really well yeah whatever that is be able to afford to we were talking before we started recording about you know paying into causes that we care about redistributing our cash all of that kind of stuff and that is so much chewier for me yeah because it's I can feel it. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to work hard for that. You know, like I want to show up for that because it feels like something versus like, I'm going to be on a yacht somewhere, I guess. (laughs) You have to get on a yacht and go and see Richard Branson. That's that's what they say. I got to have a lot of money. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) sure, I guess. I see a lot of it on Instagram, but, you know, it doesn't make me get out of bed in the morning. No, no, no. Because, and also it's not you specific, is it? It doesn't tap into your actual desires. Like you say, somebody will be hungry, but they're hungry for, and I'm going to have to use that and quote you every single time. But are they hungry for like a sandwich? Sometimes I'm, my husband is a brilliant cook. I grew up on really basic nineties food 
And often I'm just my <laughs> I'm hungry, but I just want cereal for dinner because mm-hmm. the, the man is brilliant and I get served up these amazing things. And sometimes I'm like, give me something basic. <laughs> and someone else could be like, you want like it to look amazing. And, and often I do. Mm-hmm. But it's that like we're going to have these different desires. And like you say, what's going to be the thing that gets me up and gets me to go to the shop around the corner? Because that's the food I want. That's what yeah. I fancy right now. That's what I desire. Well, and being current mm. because you're not always going to want cereal for dinner, yes. but sometimes no. you are. And, you know, I'm, I am here. You, my partner is a professional chef and loves like a square dinner. Yeah. You know, loves like a really like kind of proper dinner. And I prefer to eat a bigger meal at breakfast and at lunch and kind of like, I don't know, like some like sweet potatoes and black beans or just like yeah. some, like and like some eggs. I don't know, like, like just sort of random dinners. Yeah. Because if I were living by myself, that's just how I would organically eat, mm. which totally offends them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rambled eggs for dinner. But again, part of this work really is being in a present tense, re- like yeah. present time relationship with your body. Yeah. Because you don't always want the same things. Yeah. And actually, this brings us on to one of my questions, which was, and I'm, maybe you've already answered it, actually, is like how your relationship with ambition has changed since mm. unlearning these like capitalist patriarchal patterns. Right. This is my favorite question (laughs) because I am a very ambitious person. Mm. So here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that I was going to do all of this unlearning and divesting from, you know, toxic productivity culture and a lot of this, like the way capitalism was woven into me and all of these things and find that, you know, I was in a field here with chickens and just like relaxing peacefully with my children. Mm-hmm. That turned out not to be the case. Mm-hmm. And what I what, what I unearthed instead was I'm a really ambitious person with a really big appetite. And actually the more healed that I've become, the more sustainable my energy is, the further away from burnout, the more ambitious that I am. Mm-hmm. And it has it's It is one of those things that is so funny to me now because I really have to hold myself back a lot of the time because I know that if left to my own devices, I would be just going, going, ideas coming, things happening, doing things, writing things down, you know, just, just going and going and going until I crashed Mm. into the ground. But at this point in my life, because I have kids, because I have a family to support, because I have a business, that kind of like, go, 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 really exciting, seductive, then crash and, you know, sleep for a while and go, 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 go. That pattern just doesn't work for my lifestyle anymore. Yeah. So instead now, I have really intact boundaries with myself around work hours and how much I'm allowed to take on per season in my business. You know, I have a small team that I work with who does some things for me. And mostly what they do is tell me when something is absolutely not feasible because we already have too many things booked in that time slot. It's like, I do a lot of work now to keep myself on as sustainable a trajectory as possible, but it doesn't really come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And it's very much a practice and that was something I didn't expect. I expected like, oh, I'm going to slow down. And I'm going to love yeah. slowing down. 
And instead, what I found is I do love slowing down in many ways. It nourishes me. It feeds me. I am more creative. I'm a better parent. I'm My nervous system is far more intact than it ever was before mm. when I move at a more managed pace. But I still have that yearning to kind of go full tilt. Yeah. I also imagine you're more likely to actually get the things done. Mm-hmm. Because I definitely relate to that scattered, like, I'm going to do this, this, like, all those things. And then, and I have, I don't do this cycle anymore, but I know I've got more work to do in it. I used to do the cycle of so full on for, like, three months, then burnt out, unable Mm -hmm. to do much at all for three months. And then I'd, and you can just see how much more consistent my Instagram feed is, that if you go back, you could probably track my burnouts from when Mm -hmm. I stopped posting because I just couldn't sustain that, like, energy level so do Mm -hmm. you feel like now as much as the ambition still exists there it feels like almost like I don't know like it's too precious to mess with it that ambitious ambition yeah it feels now like I actually get more done Mm -hmm. like I have deeper roots you know I was able to write this book I created this awesome thing in my business last year that I've been wanting to create for years which was like a a week-long summit where we focused on meeting one need and it was free and it was great it was like an internet-wide party I'd wanted to do that for such a long time there are a lot of things like that that I probably wouldn't be able to create if I wasn't able to work in the sustainable way. But for me, mostly it's the, the concreteness inside of my body. So I was listening to that interview that you did with Tamu, where you were talking about how you like to create things kind of like on the fly right before you um, teach, which I also very much work in that style. I'm always like thinking about things and then, you know, I am kind of organizing it in my brain like while I'm in the shower and then I, you know, get it down on paper right before I go live. But even that, it's like there needs to be a certain amount of groundedness inside of you. Yes. Confidence. Yeah. And for me, confidence is like, am I well fed? Mm -hmm. Am I rested? Am I, you know, if I'm doing too many things, if I feel too scattered, then I'm more likely to read that and show up in such a way that feels really scattered. Mm. And so moving more slowly, even though it doesn't feel like it feeds that voracious ambition, Mm. it actually gets me to the places that I want to go. And so it's been really interesting. But, you know, people always have this perception of when if it's right for you, it's going to feel good. And this is why I share this, because I know that moving at a slower pace is right for me, but it doesn't feel fun. Yeah. You know, I want to get keyed up on coffee and like right late into the night and yeah. be on this like jag of my own brilliance. But my <laughs> life no longer accommodates that pattern of creativity. Yeah. And if I'm honest, I don't know if it was ever really that good for me to begin with. Mm but I want it. And so many of us want it. And so breaking our own habits and patterns in order to lead more sustainable and well-nourished lives Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable work, but that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And that's the thing, isn't it? In a world where we are so heavily conditioned by so many different oppressive structures, doing the thing that is suits us the most or is best for us is rarely going to feel good because we're going to be swimming against the tide of conditioning 
mm-hmm. which always feels super uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you're not doing the thing you're meant to do. You're mm-hmm. doing it a different way. And so it is going to feel, you know, visibility, I think, is a really good one for anyone that's been conditioned as a woman. You're, you're, you're not meant to be visible unless you're in a very narrow and then you're meant to be visible in a certain sexy kind of way. And that's mm. all that's allowed, not an intelligent way, not a, you know, questioning way, not an opinionated way. So there's always just this narrow space. So we're always swimming. Like I talk about it as what do I call it? Just acting against your conditioning. It does mm-hmm. feel no, act, like flying in the face of your conditioning. It feels bleh, a lot of the time. A lot of well, and you are one of my visibility superheroes and style icons, as I long told you, because I just I don't know. I can't remember. It was before the pandemic when we first connected. Mm-hmm. But I just remember I would look at you on Instagram and I'd be like, oh my God, look at what Ray is wearing, taking up space, wearing polka dots. Like <laughs> I want all of that. <laughs> and I think that's part of it too. What helps things feel more comfortable is to yes. surround by a good company, either in person or at distance, right? Yeah. Like you don't know that you're being that for me, except that I just yeah. told you, but providing yourself with people who are doing the things that you want to be doing. Yeah. So that when yeah. you get uncomfortable, you think like, oh, okay, well, you know, Ray's doing it, or, you know, this other person's doing it. Like these, these, these people are galvanized. The pres- their presence in yeah. my feed is galvanizing for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I'll be honest, I'm still holding myself back with the clothes. I really want to just be wearing oh. feathers of some kind, <laughs> some kind of headdress. But that's the needs and desires thing, isn't it? Because I need, and this is one of the things as well, I need to be comfortable in my clothes. Uh-huh. Like, so I don't wear a lot of waistbands. And so yeah. I don't wear trousers. Partly I can't match tops to bottoms, which I've talked about a lot. On it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's a very, very simple brain sometimes. But also I don't want anything around my middle. Like I just mm-hmm. can't stand that feeling of it cutting in. So I need my dress to be comfortable. I also need it to be bright and as as like much leopard print and ridiculousness as I can muster. And I would, I did go through a phase once of wearing sequins every day and I keep meaning to bring that back. Maybe I will, mm-hmm. maybe I will. But yeah, it's that, that my desire is to be flamboyant and to be, but that's taken me time, like talking about mm-hmm. bodies and stuff, like realizing yeah. I want to be somebody that people see walking through town and they go, I love it when I see that person. Uh-huh. Because I do that. There's a couple that walk through my my town where I live and one of them wears like all red and one of them wears all green like like matching trousers and everything mm-hmm. and I'm always like oh my god you two bring me so much joy whenever I see you I want to be that for other people and that involves showing up in that way and stretching yeah. out of my comfort zone and I know being that I don't seen. Have, being seen yikes I don't have the body I meant to have to dress yeah. in that way but fuck that shit I'm not even gonna mm-hmm. not even gonna entertain it so I love all of that answer. So this was another question I was super excited to ask you. How Talk to us a bit about Mm self-trust. So you have said in the past that self-trust has the most significant ROI, return on investment for small businesses. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Like why why do you feel that's true? Well, 
You're at the connecting point at the bottleneck of absolutely everything in your business. So if you don't trust yourself, you're going to be second guessing all of your decisions, looking for somebody outside of you to validate you or tell you what to do, spending all of your money on gurus and coaches and programs and things, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek support, absolutely seek support. But when we don't trust ourselves, we are outsourcing our trust to somebody that seems bigger and better and more trustworthy than us. Yeah. And the trick of it is that we only see in other people what they want us to see by and large. And so by proxy, I'm going to look like a hot mess as compared to somebody else mm -hmm. because I am seeing my my highs my lows I'm crying on the bathroom mm -hmm. floor I don't know what to feed myself for breakfast I'm falling apart I'm screaming at my partner my kid can't find their shoes I'm you know throwing a backpack whatever I see it all mm -hmm. so by nature I'm always going to look less reliable less of a sure yeah. thing less you know trustworthy but only because we're conditioned to to define what is trustworthy so narrowly you know like yeah. even the idea of what is trustworthy is rooted in this sort of like unimpeachable white male yeah. stalwart wearing a suit kind of ideal yeah and i think for me and I see this in my business and I also see this, I'm involved in a lot of different local political groups as it relates to affordable housing in my area. And, you know, I bring my kids to those meetings and I show up as I am. And sometimes I'm really tired and sometimes I'm, you know, I my kids are sick or the case may be. And it is always, that is a counter conditioning move. It's so mm. uncomfortable, mm. but how we, how we first learn to trust ourselves is by becoming more dependable, by prioritizing our connection with ourselves. And even something so, I'm going to quote unquote simple, maybe basic, as how we're talking to ourselves on a daily basis, how we talk to ourselves, how we talk about ourselves to other mm. people. Every word we utter has the ability to either build or break self-trust. Yeah. And so the more that we can build our connection with ourselves, the more strength that we can feel. And that confidence then comes to being able to make greater and greater decisions that are aligned with our values. And it may not be what everyone else is doing. It may feel quote unquote messy. You know, I, because I needed to worked through the like early postpartum time of both my second child. And I had a program that just wasn't, it was like in motion and it was a long program and my baby was born and I had enough support to be able to do it, but I would be nursing her on a call or, yeah. you know, being, being the human that I am. Yeah. And I think it goes so far to, in, well, first of all, inherently for anyone who falls outside of that ideal yes. of that like cis white male suit. Mm proper business this also is like academic you know academic the yeah. academic world you know when i was writing my book i wanted to fill it with a bunch of research about mm. other people and their work because my you know sort of academic training told me that that was what was right and good and best and i chose 
with the exception of, I think, two references in the whole book to keep it free of other people's work, which was a far more vulnerable act. Yeah. And it was intentional. Mm. And, you know, it was, I, I just have this belief that we deserve to humanize our businesses. Mm. We deserve to humanize our creative efforts. And that also doing so is really uncomfortable. Yeah. And that requires a lot of self-trust. So the more that we can build that self-connection, the more that we can have that intact relationship with ourselves, then the the greater risks we're going to be able to take because, you know, I can say, hey, would somebody else do that differently? Absolutely. Yeah. Would a whole bunch of people line up to tell me that I should have cited a ton of resources and talked about Maslow and talked about all of these different things as it relates to needs? Did I really take up a whole book just talking about my insights and my work mm. and my thoughts? Yes. <laughs> and it's not going to be for everyone. Mm. However, I do this work with people on a daily basis. And I know that a lot of that other jargony work it's like tell it to me like I'm a five-year-old yeah and that's how I want to speak yeah and that comes from me mm. and so the more we can divest from what is like kind of stereotypically deemed as trustworthy mm. and allow ourselves to take up space as we are the more room that we make for more human expression and that naturally will mean that we have more space for people who have needs, for those of us who have disabilities, for those of us who have chronic illnesses, mm -hmm. you know, people with young children. It's like being a human is messy business. Yes. So yeah. why do we pretend that the only people amongst us who are allowed to speak or allowed to speak with authority are these like figures of the patriarchy? Yeah. And you're making me think now, like when I, I don't read many books by white men, like or men at all but really not very many by white men at all but they don't do the same referencing no like, <laughs> I just suddenly realized I'm like oh my god like I get that when you're reading an academic book they would but I think a lot of people like particularly women that we're like got to add the references got to make sure I'm doing it that way I love what you've just said that's so interesting actually one client once said to me Ray where do you get all your ideas from and I went oh I don't know my head I don't know what you mean and she was like what just from your head and I was like well yeah and then what you will say to me I'll think about it and sometimes I read stuff and it confirms my thoughts or sometimes it expands my thoughts but mostly in yeah, my head and it was really interesting because sometimes like don't get me wrong there's many aspects of myself that my trust self-trust is wobbly but sometimes you have these bits that you just like huh is that weird that I trust that myself I'd never thought about it yeah it's really interesting I feel the same. And I noticed that I had some really significant judgments about mm -hmm. that, that I was carrying that, mm. you know, I wasn't as good as other people, or I was like kind of a hack, like cobbling things together or, mm. you know, talking about things everyone already knows. And I should be somehow more impressive, yeah. but impressive to who and yeah. for what, for what reason, you know, I, if what I'm here to do is be of service in a way that only I can, mm. then two things are important. The first is reaching the people that I'm serving. And yeah. the second is showing up in a way that is innate to me. Yeah. 
And for a lot of people, they love to research. For me, that researching idea is an absolute non-starter because I will look, I have all of these books behind me. They're beautifully rainbow colored. And I will tell you, I've read almost none of them. I reference them sometimes, Mm. but I'm just not a reader. Mm. My, the, my zone of genius is much more related to being in relationship with myself, Mm. with others, with my clients, with the world around me and being really thoughtful and insightful. And Mm. again, you know, is Mark Glatzel's brain going to be for everyone? No, Mm. but I've worked with thousands of people at this Mm. point and it has been very supportive for many, many, many of them. And so I know that it's good work and I know that it's enough. And I think the more that we can trust ourselves, the more that we can be of service in that way that only we can and show up even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Even when, you know, I'm off, I just started this new program and I wanted to do the same freaking thing. I was like, okay, well, I have to read these 10 books before I can even like block out what's going to be in the program. And then I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was like, can it just be enough to be who and how I am? Yeah. Yeah. I think I use them as inspiration. So I'll read a bit. I also find most, and I'm sure yours is not like this, but a lot of the sort of books I read in the kind of like, I don't know, self-development world, they have one point that they repeat. Mm-hmm. And so I've often got it by halfway through. Mm-hmm. Like often I'm like, okay, yeah, got it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm good with that. And that is more, I will say that's more the men's books that I read, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which are pretty rare. But yeah, so I would absolutely say that what you said about the self-trust piece, about being able to like, I think it's gathering evidence as well, isn't it? Like doing those small things and then noticing that the the response you get or the result you get and allowing it to actually stay with you, not just dismissing it immediately. Like the way that you've kind of unraveled that one decision. I'm not going to put references in my book and talk about how that is self-trust. Like I think that's one of the gifts of having that analytical art brain Mm -hmm. that we're able to really like bring that stuff in it's a really amazing thing I know that I don't know for me my analytical brain is also somewhat exhausting at times Mm -hmm. but it is also the ability to really appreciate the growth you've had the decisions you've made is a really magical thing so one more question yeah you alluded to this slightly in your last point but or your your last answer what about getting our needs met when other people have, and I'm going to bunny is this greater needs than ours. And what I'm really speaking to there is that I hear now from a lot of white women, particularly, or privileged women in particular, or privileged people in terms of they might have a partner or they might have also like some money, like money that other people don't, or, or it could be something like body privilege or skin privilege and stuff like that. I hear from a lot of them that they feel like their needs matter less in kind of this is particularly like left liberal type mm-hmm. people and almost like in pursuit of leveling things up and bringing equity to their work that their their needs need to matter less in that scenario what is that something you've noticed and what would you say about that mm-hmm. it's something that i've noticed and it's also something that i've felt personally mm. over the last you know 10 years yeah and where I come down on this is that each and every one of us has needs. 
the a human body has yeah. needs. Yeah. And whether or not you are a person who carries privilege. And of course there are, you know, privilege is a multifaceted concept. Yeah. So we can carry privilege in one arena of our lives and not in others. Yeah. But if you are a person who carries privilege, then your needs by and large matter yeah. more to the world around you. But that doesn't mean that they matter more full stop. Yeah. Right. It's just that when you are a person who is closer to the kind of like central point or the highest point of the social hierarchy, the world is set up for you. Yeah. And it is set up for your needs to be recognized and for your needs to be met. Quite often, your needs will be met by outsourcing some of your daily responsibilities to people who have historically marginalized identities who exist mm -hmm. in your orbit. And so this entire system of self-care is questionable and wrought with systemic oppression. But mm. we all have needs. Yeah. And, you know, it's like not pie. It's not like if I give my, I don't eat my piece of the pie that I'm going to be able to feed it to somebody else. It's like, exactly. if I don't have my needs met, it, 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 look, my body is the vessel for absolutely everything that I do. Mm. So, you know, I'm parenting my kids. I'm working in my business, being of service to people all over the globe. I'm writing, I'm serving on so many local boards and committees. I'm the basketball coach for my kids' first grade basketball team. I am putting my energy out in a multitude of ways and impacting people close to me and also at far reaches in my personal community and also my region through the work that I'm doing on a daily basis. If I don't have what I need, that impacts me, absolutely, yeah. but it impacts everybody else in my field, Yeah, which is a lot of people. Yeah. And so my having my needs met, I'm a white woman who carries a lot of privilege, but my having my needs met means that I am able to rock up for all of those things that I'm pouring my energy into. Mm -hmm. It also means that, you know, any cash that I have that I might want to redistribute in a, yeah. a multitude of directions, I wouldn't have access to being able to do that. It's like, I think that it is absolutely essential that we have a working understanding of our privilege yeah. and the way that systemic oppression impacts absolutely everything. It is the air that we are breathing constantly. Yeah. And beyond that, that each and every one of us, no matter who we are, because you know, white supremacy impacts white people too, very much so. Patriarchy impacts white people, like that that we have embodied these mm. systems of oppression and are reenacting them in our relationship with ourselves and in our relationship with the people around us. Yeah. So the more work that we can do to yeah. A, expand our capacity to, to be here now yes. with as much of ourselves as possible and two, be present and available participants mm. in our communities mm. 
you know, it takes energy to hear a new idea and expand to integrate it, to to allow ourselves to be changed Mm -hmm. as we learn and we accommodate new information and we meet new people. You know, all of this requires energy. And it is a vital importance that we're getting our needs met no matter who we are. And so I think that one, like it's really important to honor the fact that we live in a society where some people's needs matter more than others. And by matter, I mean, you know, kind of like society deems societally. Yeah. Yeah. But that as humans in human bodies, all of our needs matter Mm. and matter deeply. And if we are the, you know, however far we are, Mm-hmm. into the margins of society we have been taught that our needs don't matter mm-hmm. we have been taught that our needs matter less than other people mm-hmm. we have embodied those systems of oppression and are reenacting them in our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with other people and so this is kind of one of those it's not your fault but it is your responsibility yeah as a human who has needs and needs to get those needs met yeah, absolutely. And so it's my hope that, you know, I talk about this a fair amount in my book. I talk about this a fair amount in my programs. And I think we need to talk about this because there are a lot of people walking around on this planet thinking that their needs matter less than other people because that's what society at large tells them every single day. Yeah. And they need to need this message, but also the people who have been told how precious they are and how much they matter need to be told this as well. Yeah. Because when your needs aren't getting met, you are outsourcing them to the people around you. Yeah. When you are unkind and punishing towards yourself, you are unkind and punishing towards the people that surround you. And so whatever work you can do to repair your relationship with yourself and to deepen into your own humanity Mm. will enable you to have compassion and space for the humanity of others as well yeah yeah and you know i just think about like the person who's tending to their needs if they're called out or called in in term on on something they've done that is problematic in some way like something racist or homophobic or whatever it could be if you if you have that self-trust in place if you've been tending to your needs your reaction is going to be very different in terms Mm -hmm. of what you put on to that other human who has had the courage to bring that up with you the the your reaction is going to be so different mm-hmm. if you're tending to your knees like if you think about me snapping I hate you and my husband mm-hmm. like that person that human being who's people someone's like oh I don't know if you know this but blah 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 it's gonna have a very different reaction mm-hmm. than the person who's tended to her needs and has dealt with that stuff and is you know looking after herself in those ways or themselves in those ways Yeah. And I think it goes back to, again, to that conversation about something being uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's wrong or doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it's going to hurt you. You know, I, I really want to be open to Mm -hmm. people calling me in and Mm -hmm. sharing with me things that I have not known before, because, you know, I, part of my worldview is an understanding that that is Mm -hmm. essential. Yeah. Do I actively you know, <laughs> does my my ego just yeah. cringe at the thought of it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so in order to make good on, not that that's not just some like shiny idea, but in order to be emotionally and energetically available to have mm-hmm. those conversations and to tolerate my own discomfort without making them somebody that discomfort somebody else's problem. Yes. I need to be well-resourced. Yes. 
Yes. What I find is I fall into a depth of shame, but I'm able to walk alongside it for a bit and know that it's going to go and, and know that it's mine, not theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be like, and then be like, okay, okay, it's not going to be with me forever. And that's a lot to do with actually having capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much thank for you. everything. We did do, I'm trying to think, we did the questions last time that I always ask, but let's do them again because, you know. I'm sure it was a while ago. Yeah, exactly. We've changed. You might have changed. So I'm trying to remember exactly what my first question is normally. Oh, finish this sentence. Money is fun. Nice. Love that. I don't think that was your answer last time. I'm going to go back and listen. (laughs) I've changed. I've grown. And then we've spoken a bit about this. You might not have an answer actually because you're saying you don't read that much. But is there a book or a podcast that you've listened to lately that you would or, or read lately that you would recommend to people? Yours? (laughs) mine yours (laughs) but I also I have been reading you are I've been listening to it on audiobook you are the medicine by Asha Frost which is really good oh that I've not heard of that add that to my Asha Frost she's awesome and she has an oracle deck coming out the same day that my book's coming out so she's rad I've been hanging out with her nice I'm gonna write that down that sounds brilliant and then if you could eat one food for the rest of your life what would it be sweet potatoes I love my husband. If I'd known this, I don't know if we'd be where we are. He doesn't like sweet potatoes. <laughs> my partner doesn't like sweet potatoes either. More for me. Yeah, true. I don't cook. Yeah. So, uh, like, <laughs> doesn't like sweet potatoes and salt and vinegar crisps. And I just don't mm. understand. Anyway. <laughs> Brutal. Honestly, thank you so much. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So you can find me at Mara Glatzel. And if you want to check out the book, I recorded a fun video trailer and there's a bunch of advanced words about the book, good bonuses. If you want to get the book or early, you can find that over at maraglatzel.com backslash book. And I like to hang out on Instagram. So come hang out with me there. Love. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you all soon.